Princes Rise for their Majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Lisa Ryan. And I'm Caitlin Menza. And it's time for your weekly update on the royal news you absolutely, simply, positively need to know. That's right. That was an ad lib. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> she Improv. Just, she's just bouncing off the lines here. Yes, and... <laughs> Yikes. Um, make sure to follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. We absolutely love the Facebook group. Yeah, I actually, right off the top of the episode, I just want to issue a congratulations to Lauren H., who shared her engagement with us in the Facebook group. And she was she showed us a photo of her ring because it sort of looks like Megan's, and it absolutely does. And I just want to say congratulations to her. Yay. Yay. Yay, love. Yay, love. We love love. Yeah. That's something unique about us. <laughs> um, you guys can send us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com. And this week, we are chatting about... Some fun fashion moments. I used a magic marker and I can't read my writing. <laughs> what is the one that starts? With? Oh, fashion. Yes. I, I, mm-hmm. Fashion. Oh, <laughs> uh, the other. Oh, mm, the Prince Andrew interview. The Prince Andrew mm-hmm. interview. Yeah. That and the crown. Ha- and the crown. With Jackson McHenry from Vulture. Yes. It's a real high, low, high, low kind of episode. <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately. And our royal refreshment this week. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. It's Prosecco. Prosecco. And we're drinking it in lovely paper cups. <laughs> exactly how the winemakers intended, I'm sure. We're um, just like the crown. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Should we do a listener email? The subject line is outstanding. It's absolutely the way to get us to read an email. <laughs> so the subject is, I think you named my dog? Question mark. It's from Ashley. Um, it includes a photo of the dog, who is the cutest, most beautiful, handsome dog. Is um, the dog posing next to a rose? Indeed. Indeed it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ashley writes, this fall, my husband and I moved to a new state, started obviously new jobs, and went through the stress of buying a house. I started listening to your podcast right as I started my new job because I have a 30-minute drive to work. When I was at my most anxious, wondering if we had the right life choice, your podcast is always a constant for me. Oh, my God. So lovely. Aww. I could literally feel the anxiety fall from my shoulders when your voice came across the speaker's. Um, if only that had the same effect on me <laughs> on I have a, bad anxiety yeah well I mean and also listening to like Michael Barbaro talk about wh- whatever stresses me out <laughs> um, so anyway on a much lighter note I got a puppy a few months ago and we named her Rowan great name great one day my husband questioned the nickname I had been calling her ever since and I racked my brain as to where I picked it up finally one Thursday it hit me have you guessed yet meet my little Roro oh <laughs> thank you for creating such a well thought out uh, based on credible sources and lighthearted podcast if you ever need a place to stay in Kansas then I'll pick up some gin I mean I might go to Kansas just to see this dog this dog is so so beautiful this dog Rowan and also we're looking at her in black and white but I can sense that maybe she has those like sky blue eyes I don't know what kind of dog this is, but it's super, super beautiful. And thank you so much, Ashley. And we're so glad that you have this dog, that it's being called Roro, and that the podcast is helping with the stresses of moving. Um, I'm excited for your life change. Me too. And I hope that you are a part of the Facebook group because (laughs) I think that's a really lovely community. Yeah, give everyone the dog. Everyone needs to see this dog now. Yes, seriously. (laughs) Um, And so now, this week in royal history. And now, this week in royal history. This is a biggie. Yes, and we're quoting from Oprah Magazine. Yeah, it's the wedding of 
Princess Elizabeth and Philip Mountbatten, which was on November 20th, 1947. What is everyone doing for this major wedding anniversary? Um, So the royal wedding took place at Westminster Abbey. But of course, on November 20th, 1947, there were 2,000 guests in attendance and it was broadcast on the radio around the world. Imagine listening to a wedding. It's like listening to people walk down an aisle. Would you just be... Hearing like noise. It doesn't seem uh, the music and like the choir, I'm sure, which was one of my favorite parts of Meghan and Harry's wedding, like very memorably was the little kids singing. Like mm-hmm. It sounded like the gates of heaven. Um, but it does seem like it would be less fun if you couldn't see the dress in real time. Um, the mo- the momentous was- occasion was not without a minor controversy over Elizabeth's inclusion of to obey in her wedding vows, as some thought a future queen shouldn't obey anybody at all. This is so interesting to me because one would think that the phrase to like to love, honor, and obey would not be as controversial for a woman to say in 1947. Some people don't like to say it now because it's like a woman doesn't want to obey her husband in a heterosexual marriage. But of course, it was an issue then because she was the queen. And she's like, um, he'll obey me, Loki. <laughs> uh, so that's funny. I really didn't know that there was a controversy. That's, so that's super interesting. And then after the wedding, they moved to Clarence House near Buckingham Palace and kept adjoining separate bedrooms per upper class custom of the time which is mind-boggling to us now, obviously, but we do see that on The Crown. Yes. They have separate bedrooms, but they can, like, yell out to each other. They look like siblings, you know, and they're two beds, like twin beds opposite each other. It's No, it's like not twin, twin beds, beds, but I feel like, I, you know, I just rewatched some episodes and, like, they showed the prime minister of the U- <laughs> England, like, in a twin bed next to his wife, and you're just like, wow, what a... What a time. What a time. And I I probably would sleep better in a twin bed. But like (laughs) that's yeah, that's like wild to think about. So happy, happy anniversary to those two. You've been married a bajillion years. And you still are. And just wow. You're you're keeping on, keeping on. I mean, we have a little photo here of them on their wedding day and Man, they look chuffed if I'm using the British slang properly. Which I don't understand. I hope I am. I mean, they look psyched. They just look really, really happy. Um, she was getting her childhood crush. So. Her cousin. Her cousin. Um, so happy anniversary to those two. And now we have some fashion. Yeah, we're going to like go through this quickly because there's so much to cover. But I want to quote uh, Go Fug Yourself's exact headline in relation to Prince William's event for Centerpoint, which is a facility... Um, they were opening a facility called Apprenticeship House, which helps to erase the path toward independent living for homeless youths. Um, I'm quoting Go Hug Yourself here. But their headline was, Prince William is all caps feeling himself, me thanks, and I am here for it. So at this gala, he wore a green velvet jacket. And remember, the first time we ever saw him look fashionable, if I recall, was like a month or two ago. Yeah, on the when Pakistan he was in tour. Pakistan. And by fashionable... Fashionable, we mean he wore the traditional dress of the area that he was visiting, which is like a polite thing to do. Yeah, but he looked amazing. And then now he's wearing this like velvet blazer. And I'm like, is this a different era where he's not just wearing khakis? Like, Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it goes to show that like it takes so little for us to be thrilled with what a man wears. Um, But it also goes to show that more men should like try and experiment a little bit. All he had to do was wear a green velvet jacket. And now we're paying more attention to the event. Like suddenly we're like. Hmm. Yeah, like what was going hmm. on there? I'm dying over these photos of him with, uh, well, Duran Duran and also Rita Ora. Um, shout out Who Weekly. Shout out um, Who Weekly. So we have Jackson on in a little bit and he is a man. So we're going to ask his opinion as yes, a man. Of course, of course. But in my opinion, as a lady, I loved it. And I hope that we're entering a new fashionable era for William. 
Um, a couple days later, we got him and his wife, Kate, at another uh, black tie event. So this was at the Royal Variety Performance at the Palladium in London. Um, and he wore just normal black. It's fine. Like, it's, I mean, he looked fine. It's you can't fine. be wacky every single time. Um, so yeah. he wore that and Kate wore a black Alexander McQueen lace dress. dress. Lace dress. And I think that, so Caitlin and I were discussing how to kind of handle this because <laughs> we, neither of us are fans of this dress. I don't but like it, guys. What we did was we looked to our friend Elizabeth mm-hmm. Holmes and she had a really good commentary about it where she was like, you know, Kate has two really amazing lace gowns already black lace black lace like couldn't she have pulled from them like she loves black lace dresses which i understand because it's like easy classic romantic beautiful chic looked great on her and like i mean she looked beautiful of course but i just did not like this dress and yeah what was it that you said to me via gchat something about new jersey Okay, I don't know if this is a regional thing, but this is going to be so terrible for those who do recognize the reference. But I thought it looked like something from Joyce Leslie, which when I was growing up was sort of like a store where you went to buy clothes for your school dance that were like your mom couldn't see them because they were slightly inappropriate, like lacy stuff or like corset kind of like sexy tops, going out tops when you were in high school. And it was stuff like this where it's like sort of lined and lacy and it's like provocative, but not really. Not that this dress was provocative at all. She's very, very covered up. But I just thought that the lining looked like a little cheap. I don't know. I just it upset me. I don't I don't love it. I don't think it's her best. I do think the event looked lovely because I loved seeing them meet um, the Mary Poppins cast. <laughs> yes. And I, I also appreciate when she, you know, goes for it. It doesn't yeah, mean that. Of course. Like going for it doesn't mean that every time it's going to work. Like the, in this instance, maybe some people thought it worked. For us, we don't think it worked. No. But- I mean, it was very, very appropriate as she always is. It was appropriate for the occasion. It was appropriate for her and her role. I just like didn't didn't thrill me um i will say that we're getting i believe another black tie event from them this week we're recording on tuesday i think they're doing another one on thursday so it's a fancy week for this for yes, the cambridges that's um, great so i'm excited for it i always am just excited for a black tie gala with these two so i'll take it um so then we have a quick sussex update um yes so everyone's been talking about um megan and prince harry going to the U.S. for Thanksgiving, which isn't a very is a very American thing to do, like to spend <laughs> yes. American Thanksgiving in America. Yes, and then there was a lot of speculation as to whether or not they would also be spending Christmas in America. And then Buckingham Palace, uh, you know, after all these like nonstop reports, many of which were just kind of like negative, um, a spokesperson for the Sussexes said, uh, "The Duke and Duchess of Sussex, I can't talk Sussex. It's hard to say, especially after Prosecco. I know." The Duke and Duchess of Sussex are looking forward to an extended family time towards the end of this month. Having spent the last two Christmases at Sandringham, their royal highnesses will spend the holiday this year as a new family with the Duchess's oh mother, God, Doria Ragland. That's right. I had it right in front of me, so it was easy. Um, and then they said, and this was really important, this decision is in line with precedent set previously by other members of the royal family and has a, the support of Her Majesty the Queen. Because it's so annoying to me that they even have to say that. But like, of course, we're looking at Harper's Bazaar's post and they had said like, to note, like Prince William and Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge, have also skipped holidays at Sandringham in 2012, 2014 and 2016. So like so many other married couples and families, they go back and forth between their in-laws like every other year. That's just what people do. That's just what people do. And I think that all the like shock of, oh, my God, they're going to spend time. 
they didn't even say where they're going to spend time. Just with, no, they Dor- said with, Doria. with Doria. Like they don't, we don't know where that's going to be. Presumably California, but we don't know I where. Hope Toronto. <laughs> it could be Toronto. With the Mulronies. I love them. <laughs> it could be wherever the heck they want. The point is, like they're allowed to do this, and it's absolutely with precedent that they do right. this. It's not shocking. If they're in Toronto. I'm going to be in Toronto. Okay. See. Who's blowing it out of proportion? They're invited to the Ryan celebration. <laughs> See, my reaction was Christmas tacos. I tweeted that. I was like, they're going to maybe go to California and they can have Christmas tacos. And Archie can have all the California avocados because that's a really good food for kids. Yeah. I don't know that because I don't have a baby, but I have seen babies eat avocados. I've seen them eat avocados, too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. Good. So it's a real thing. Okay. So after that really amazing, wonderful, delightful thing, image of a baby eating avocado, we're going to just dive Right into that other thing. Yeah. So we have avoided talking about Prince Andrew's connection to Jeffrey Epstein because of the severity and the grossness of the allegations. And, yeah. you know, we've, we've definitely mentioned it, but this is a fun, lighthearted podcast. This isn't the place for that sort of thing. No. But um, given his interview with the BBC, we need to acknowledge at least the backlash he's been facing. Yeah. It's, pretty intense so that's the thing we were like how can we discuss our opinions on this because who i don't know who wants our opinions on this or like whatever but the opinions across the whole media landscape were wow this was the biggest most horrific disaster like all these things about there were so many comparisons to a car crash and there i like, heard a lot of train wrecks too. a lot of train wrecks um just it was so so bad and I was like when I first saw that it announced that he was going to do this interview I was like okay let's let's see what he has to say like I can't believe he's doing this I thought he was going to avoid it forever like I'm I don't know if I should say glad he's going to do it but I hear he is and then it was like 10 times worse than I could have possibly imagined um so there's not really like I don't know what you want to what we want to say about this but I think we can just quote the times honestly the New York Times mm-hmm. the, the American Times um their, their headline was Prince Andrew talks about his ties to Jeffrey Epstein in Britain is appalled. Appalled. Um, viewers were left shaking their heads at the wisdom of consenting to a polite but relentless grilling by the journalist Emily Maitlis in the first place. I don't think it was relentless, but um, here my takeaways were, yeah, so all the headlines, of course, across all the tabloids were just like, the on the mail it said not one single word of remorse on the Sunday mirror it said no no sweat and no regret um he was sweating yeah because there was a whole discussion about how he's unable he's unable to sweat according to him so he couldn't have been sweating on a teenage or it's just so bad here's what I would like to say I'm really surprised that he chose to do this I'm surprised that um according to all reports that of course, the queen must have signed off on him choosing to do this. Um, he seemed, I'm no crisis PR expert. I don't know how people are prepared for this kind of thing, but he was completely unprepared. He had no messaging. He had no, like, he didn't forcefully deny anything. He just, like, bumbled through it and seemed surprised to be there and never really said that he was sorry and never apologized. Just talked about being too honorable. And- oh, my God. Of all the quotes that I, I mean, there are so many, like, details that we could sort of mock but it's not really appropriate but like the pizza thing and the sweating I'm unable to sweat so I couldn't have sweat on that teenager is just like ridiculous but for me of all the lines the one that sticks with me is the one that was sort of promoted on Twitter the clip that was printed on Twitter before it aired which was him being like you know the journalist was like why did you still hang out with him after he was a convicted sex offender and he was like I guess it's my tendency to be too honorable like he couldn't break off the friendship because he has a tendency to be too honorable. 
it's almost like in a job interview when they're like, what's your biggest flaw? And you're like, I'm too honorable around pedophiles. Like, that's <laughs> disgusting. Like, I just couldn't. I'm shocked <laughs> that this is the angle he went with. And throughout the whole thing, he talks about like he always comes from the place of being a victim himself he expresses like anger at the paparazzi for capturing him in the park when he went to hang out with him he talks about like going to a party for when he was released from jail he like never backs down from any of this and i'm disgusted by the entire thing and i feel like it's a dark dark moment for this generation of royals it's so dark and Honestly, I don't think there's much more we can say about that because no. there's such great reporting like um, Julie K. Brown from the Miami Herald. She's done incredible reporting on Epstein. And there's a podcast, Broken Jeffrey Epstein, that really like dives deep into everything about Epstein. So if you want more information, I would suggest turning to them. Yeah. This is like, that's about enough. <laughs> I'm like, going to get heated. Like, my it's God, just re- it's really bleak. I'm really disgusted by the entire thing. And never once does he apologize these women because there are certain aspects that are still just alleged but what is not alleged is that he was a sex offender like we know it's Epstein yeah Epstein is convicted so it's not as if some of this stuff has to be speculated about it's fact so ew ew and awful and yikes and I feel really bad for the the palace they have to deal with this person um Prince Andrew so in that vein um we have his brother, Prince Charles, not in that vein, but like doing something better. Prince Charles, poor Prince Charles. So that the, the interview aired on Saturday. On Monday, um, Charles and Camilla kicked off a week long tour in New Zealand. And these like this, this poor guy, like I rarely find myself feeling super bad for Prince Charles, but like he really had to. He has to have an amazing week and tour now to like show that, you know, his generation is not a mess. And so they've had a really super packed couple of days in New Zealand so far. Um, All the usual stuff you would expect from a royal tour. um, He stopped by two um, memorials, two military memorials, and he laid a wreath. He actually uh, wept. He seemed to weep at one of them, which was, you know, sort of a rare moment for him. And then um, he went to this place called Critical Design, which is an Auckland-based company that manufactures um, homewares and officewares from recycled materials. So that's like a very Charlesy event because of course he is really interested in sustainability. Super into it. And so um, the co-founder Rui Peng, he said um, the prince got quite animated about what we do here. He said he's been advocating about this for years, making use of waste plastic is critical for the future. Um, and so that's where you saw him make the t-shirt, which was so funny. He did a screen printing kind of thing mm-hmm. and he looked yes. at the cameras <laughs> and he was like, this will be a disaster me decorating a t-shirt while Camilla was making Christmas ornaments. Um, and so I love seeing them crafting and doing that sort of fun stuff. Um, they also met with Bike Kitchen, which repairs donated bikes for local families. And then they went to a winery and learned about New Zealand wines, which is delightful. The dream. Yeah. And so they did like a blending class where they like mixed Riesling and Pinot Grigio and Albarino. You know, like how fun is that? Um Oh, I also liked this line. I believe I pulled it from the Daily Mail. At the event, I believe at Bike Kitchen, he met um, a little Shih Tzu named Chino, um, who had been given a dog, who had been given a bath, especially for the royal visit. Wow! I just love that New Zealand is sending its finest. They're wa- <laughs> they're washing up their dogs for the royal tour. Um, thank you to Charles for doing his absolute best at this grotesque time. Um, but speaking of the best. We are joined by staff writer at Vulture, Jackson McHenry, who is here to chat all things Crown with us. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so excited. We are so excited. Last year, we memorably, and we bring it up all the time, we had Catherine Van Arendonk on, 
And so we like to tap into our vulture connections whenever we yes. need to discuss the it's crown. It's also, I'm remembering now that when we had Catherine on, we were like, what can you tell us about the crown? Like you cover TV. And she was the first person in my life or on the internet or anywhere who was like, it's going to be at least another year. And we were, our minds were blown and I didn't want to believe it. And of course she was right. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to insult her. She wasn't being mean per se, but that was like the worst moment of it my was, life. It was a real jab to me personally, but she of course was right. But we're here now, so it's fine. So we are so happy to have you. And okay, so let's just dive right in. So first, let's chat about the changing of the guard because obviously there's a whole new cast due to aging. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Moving forward in time. Due so we to, can't have all the same people. Right. Due to a creative choice by creator Peter Morgan. We have a whole new cast. Actually, before we really begin, I want to just say that for those, um, you all might be in a different place with your viewing. So we're only going to discuss the first three episodes um, yes. so that we're not spoiling it for people who didn't like ravenously eat it all up on the first day. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. Yes. <laughs> um, but so just the first three episodes. So don't feel like you need to skip ahead per se. Yes, please listen in because all we're going to really talk about is history. Yes, exactly. It's happened already. It's happened. So, okay. So the the changing of the guard, of course, the first scene of this season was what we also saw in the teaser trailer, which was, you know, her staring at the two stamps and being like, okay, well, let's get on with it. I, I was kind of sad again saying goodbye to Claire Foy. I was like, bye, Claire. We can hang out whenever you want. Let's cue up the Enya. Cue up the Enya. <laughs> um, it was a bummer, but it was like a really funny way of introducing her. I how did think. you how did you think that was how did that play out? How I thought it? it was it was it was good. I was sort of a little worried when I first saw it that it would be kind of too on the nose. Right. That it's sort of obvious, but it's nice to have the acknowledgement because I think Claire Foy did such a fantastic job with it and became so well known just specifically as Queen Elizabeth. Right. Um and it's a little harder to take someone like Olivia Coleman who just recently won an Oscar for a very different type of queen in the favorite that was yes. much harder dark <laughs> yes. comedy and she's very well known especially in Britain for all of her roles especially in comedies. Um, that sort of would be a tough transition to kind of accept her as Queen Elizabeth. And I think she definitely proves herself incredibly well in like the first three episodes and over the course of the season um, to fit the kind of tone of the show and to do the character well. But it's sort of a tough leap just because you're so used to seeing one person and one character and one specific take on it. I also think like I, I, when I see her, it, we got there eventually. I got there eventually. But the first like entire episode, I was like, that's Olivia Coleman. Like I had a hard time being like, that's not the mom, the stepmom from Fleabag. Like it was <laughs> she had these like major iconic roles in America in the last year. And so it was kind of hard for me to shut my brain off in that regard. Like there's Olivia. My, like we're not in Broadchurch. My best friend. <laughs> yeah, I think it was an interview where Peter Morgan sort of said they always wanted Olivia for the right. queen. They were, that was their choice. But he was sort of bummed that. At first, she already played another queen in the favorite, right. and they got there first, and she had the whole American press store, and she surprisingly won the Oscar over Glenn Close and Lady Gaga, and right. I thought it was very well-deserved, but it was sort of a big crowning achievement for her before she got to the crown. Yeah, I mean, it helped the crown out, I'm sure, in the, uh, yeah. in the long run. I'm about to have a little um, nerdy interlude for a moment. Thrilling. Um, I was recently watching CBS Sunday Morning, or CBS This Morning, I don't know which one, but they were talking about the anniversary of Forrest Gump, and they were interviewing the younger Forrest Gump. And they said that Tom Hanks, instead of developing his own accent for Forrest Gump, he studied the the young guy's accent because he's like, I have to sound like an older version of him. He doesn't have to sound like a younger version of huh. me. And so I was listening to Olivia Coleman with my knowledge of Tom Hanks from CBS. Thank you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was I was like, she sounds just like her. And I know that she also has to sound like the queen, but I thought it was really interesting that it just kind of just sounded like Claire Foy plus a few years. Yeah, of course, all that accent that we learned about from Eric a couple months ago. Um, But yeah, 
and the mannerisms were all there, of course. Um, so I want to confess something. I was just preparing these two that I was going to say something like this, but I found the first episode just a little slow, just a little bit slow. I mean, I know that each people have their different kinds of storylines that move for them and not to be such a girl about it. But I'm always like, I want palace intrigue and drama and romantic relationships. I'm like slightly less interested in the fact that there was a KGB spy. That's an amazing concept. And that's uh-huh. a fact about history I never knew. And of course, it was off Googling. But I don't know. I just like wasn't super moved by the first episode's plot. I was also sort of especially excited about Helena Bonham Carter playing Princess Margaret. Yes. And sort of when you start the first episode, I kept on being like, when are we going to check in with Margaret? Yes. Like, she's such Give an interesting HBC. actor. HBC's fun and, and like a, a wild choice for them and an interesting choice. And so it was a little bit like, OK, when are we getting into it? Yeah. And it's a lot of checking in on all the characters, though. I do like a good spy story. Maybe I'm just a guy. No, you're well, right. I, I mean, like the American. So I'm like, hell yeah. KGB, <laughs> back in my life. Yeah. I mean, it was a great twist. And I truly like I mean, that's what I will say is so amazing about the show. And I know that happens again um, as we go along is that they are exploring storylines that are so that most of us are so incredibly unaware of, especially as Americans, especially as people who were not alive in the 60s. Like, these are the really intricate moments. Like, I rewatched some of season two over the weekend in anticipation. And, like, remember that one episode where she confronts the columnist who said that the monarchy called her a priggish schoolgirl? Like, that is not on her Wikipedia page in terms of the biggest moments of her life, but it is such a big, it's an interesting way to explore her personality. And that's sort of what this did, too, was like, okay, but there's a spy in her own midst and she didn't know like what do you do with that and it turns into such an interesting thing for her character where it's like she knows that there's a spy in her midst but the government can't admit that to knowing that there's a spy in their midst because that would admit that they were incompetent enough to allow a spy to be this close to the queen so she has to just pretend that she still likes this guy and trusts him as an art historian and he's still part of it he was still part of the palace until like 1979 until Margaret Thatcher just decided to reveal his presence. Unbelievable. Um, so it's it's sort of one of those things that you're like, this is maybe a small detail in history, but it tells you so much about what like her life would be like, which yeah. is a smart way to structure an episode. And it's like she can't trust anybody around her, basically. I mean, she never can, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. But this just underscores that. Also, um, I mean, obviously everything is set in history, but there's so many things that we don't know about that we mm-hmm. learn about after this. So the disaster in Aberfan. Yeah. Like I... We knew I actually first heard about it when I read that they were filming about it like a year, 10 years ago, whenever it was, <laughs> whenever we were talking to Catherine and she's like, get over yourselves. Right. Um, <laughs> we love you, Catherine. Please like us. She knows um, all the details. But that's when I first learned about it. And I was like, this is awful. But I didn't know the huge effect it actually had on the queen. So, Jackson, can you tell us a little bit about um how it really like affected Queen Elizabeth and also how it was depicted? It was really was disturbing and it was shocking and I felt like I was grieving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, it was such an important um, and, and devastating disaster in British history and, and so many kids died um, that it was something that I think that the the creators of the Crown were very sort of cautious about how they wanted to approach and they, I think they've talked about the sense of feeling like this is a difficult subject but we know that it's such an important part of the Queen's life and also of the history of England that they wanted to, to, to depict it. Um, and so it's depicted in the show as sort of her, a lot of it is about her, which is, I think, sort of part of the structure of the crown. It has to be about the queen. And that's, a, I think, a, one of the harder things to watch about the episode because you feel like, okay, but we also need to focus on the people in this community. And right. that's a sort of hard thing. But they do it very well on the queen and that she regretted 
following protocol so strictly and feeling the sense of, you know, we don't go to disasters, we go to hospitals, we take care of people after the fact, this is not where the crown should be seen, but the sense of caring so much about what these people had been through and trying to figure out what her position as a symbolic figure involves. Um, And so I think the fact that she waited so long, as they talk about on the show, and, and as her biographers and people have written about the crown have said, has really haunted her. And sort mm-hmm. of you can see reflections of that in the way that the crown had tried to approach other disasters. I think we're talking about Princess Diana, the similar sense of, you know, how they deal with these kind of great tragedies and what it means to be a queen or a head of state in those moments. Mm-hmm. And I've seen so many pictures courtesy of Town and Country, uh, my my other crown resource other than yes. Vulture. Um <laughs> They had all these images of Queen Elizabeth repeatedly visiting the site throughout the mm-hmm. rest of her reign. She's been there so many times because it really has held such an important, um, sorry, it's held such importance to her even after all this time. Yeah. And we were talking about how it's a little, um, it's interesting that Peter Morgan, you know, the creator and writer, that he revisited this type of storyline because it's very similar if you haven't seen his movie, The Queen from what the 90s or maybe early, early aughts, which Mm -hmm. is couldn't be the 90s. It must be the early aughts because it's, of course, about Princess Diana's death. But how um, Queen Elizabeth was like, we're not reacting to this. We're not going to do a public walkabout. That's not what we do. And it's a very similar thing of like she held on for too long for propriety's sake when what they really needed to do was see her as a human. So it's clearly clearly um, a storyline and a, a a sort of theme that he's really interested in is when she makes mistakes and when she just like lets her guard down a little bit and is willing to break protocol and just go see people, you know? So it's a really interesting theme. And also sort of how she deals with her own emotions that she's so sort of has to be. And, and that's sort of what they talk about in the second episode with Margaret, that the sense of someone who's a good ruler is someone who keeps their emotions in check and isn't the center of a party and isn't the life of the party. Um, but in the third episode, a lot of it is about how she just, can't cry on command and doesn't right. have a sense of the, the ability to be overwhelmed by emotion that at the very end of the episode actually one of the things that Catherine reported on for Vulture <laughs> um, is there's an incredible shot where it's Olivia Coleman. she's come back from the disaster she sort of pretended to wipe away a tear and obviously felt a great deal um, but when she's alone and she's sort of reminiscing about it the camera holds on her face and only after a while a single tear rolls down mm-hmm. her face and apparently that was entirely Olivia Coleman. I mean, it wasn't of course it was. Tear. Of <laughs> it wasn't like a little, you know, tear sticker yeah. or makeup or anything. It was entirely you she can Olivia. just time a tear exactly when mm-hmm. she wants to cry. Mm-hmm. So we've so. discussed this before. I'm not sure if you've thought of this as someone who writes about the theater. Um, <laughs> we think she's going to egot. Yeah, mm. yeah. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, she's not. So I don't know she how much the she, o. Has. she has the O. She has the O. <laughs> and then she just has to do a book on tape. Yeah, or on CD. Mm-hmm. I don't know what yeah, they use yeah. nowadays audible right and then she can get the g yeah Yeah. do you do a sort of counter british version of it because i'm pretty sure she has well actually i would have to look it up but i'm sure she has awards from her stage work in london uh, olivier or something along those lines um i would have to double check but she's done a lot of theater there you've proven yourself as a theater (laughs) critic so we can find one of those awards and substitute for tony or just get her to do something on stage yes please in new york afraid of virginia wolf oh my god amazing she'd be great we've done it i love that dream casting i think this is called producing (laughs) amazing what about um, Helena Bonham Carter so far? I like her. Um, I, I think that she's a. Uh, th- she has the sort of Princess Margaret episode to, to shine yes. and episode two channel yes. that sort of 
Helen Bonham Carter kind of, she has a specific kind of chaotic energy that's <laughs> yes. interesting for someone yes. who came up through Merchant Ivory movies and doing, it's kind of interesting for her to return back through the, from the world of Tim Burton and yes. Harry Potter. weird, freaky stuff. Um, Fight Club. start out Fight with, Club. you know, movies I watched with my parents when they were trying to be like, literature is exciting. We watched like A Room <laughs> with a View and right. um, Howard's End, um, which are great movies, but maybe not the best thing to show your eight-year-old son. Um <laughs> But uh, so I think it's fun to see a return to that. Um, I think it's a little also hard because there's a lot of the Margaret drama was done so well by Vanessa Kirby. And um, there's sort of at least in the first three episodes and I haven't finished watching the full season, but I've only watched the sort of first half. There's Mm -hmm. less for Margaret to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think she's. Except watch her marriage fall apart and Except be watch sad her about fair, it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which, through emotional trauma. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved how it was like teased a little bit in the first episode where like Tony doesn't even want to say hi to her when he enters a room. Just like that sort of like subtle devastation, you know? Yeah. I did like in the second episode because um, that one is where she's on the U.S. tour and then she gets ordered by the queen to go to a state dinner hosted by Lyndon Johnson and it was really interesting because I did not know how crude he was because after I watched this episode, my boyfriend played for me some tapes of him speaking. Of Tony? No, of, of Lyndon LBJ. Mm-hmm. He was a crude, crude guy. <laughs> like, talk about crass. Mm-hmm. And his depict- depiction in The Crown is as an extremely crude, crass person. Yeah. And so Margaret was just being her, like, best party rude self with him Mm -hmm. and he loved it he was so charmed by her and it just felt so realistic to me especially after i listened to those tapes and i was like yowza yeah and we knew she could be a tough broad as well with the one-liners and singers and just straight up insults so and then also the fact that she's dirty limericks yeah she like recognized without anyone having to really say to her that he was jealous of jfk Mm -hmm. and she's like i know what it's like being the second fiddle because i am the second fiddle it's good stuff and then dirty limerick so <laughs> it feels like a very crown moment where they're like we're sort of shaping history so that we can make these comparisons and yeah, these yeah, characters yeah, say these sure. things to each other yeah and it works well because you're like i do believe that I this is it. their psychology if yeah. not how exactly the events played out no <laughs> i completely agree so jackson let's tap into your vulture knowledge your vulture uh skill set yes you will. can you tell us some behind the scenes stories from all the extensive Catherine Van Arendt reporting. <laughs> exactly. I'm just going to be her emissary please, here. Please, please. Um, I hope she's listening. And she's she like, went to London and she, you know, she profiled Helena Bonham Carter for it and she profiled Tobias Menzies, who's the new Prince Philip. Um, and so has all lots of wonderful stories. Um, one of them was about um, the single tear that Olivia Coleman cries. Another was she talked to Helena Bonham Carter and I love the idea that um, Helena Bonham Carter apparently is a very excitable, enthusiastic person in real life and like loves drinking soda all the time to keep herself energized because sets are so boring um, and loves to play Mamma Mia in the makeup trailer um, oh, that's next how to Olivia Lisa. Coleman to, to torment her. So I thought that was a very good, you know. Um, it. it should be noted that Jackson went to Mamma Mia with me when I had to go every day for a week for work. Yeah, if you're year. not familiar with um, Lisa's work, which you should be, um, Lisa went to see Mamma Mia every day for a week. Yes. And that is an article that lives forever on the cut. Um, yes. quite thank, a quite thank a, you, thank you. Quite a psychological experiment. I went to one of them with you. 
and cried like throughout the whole movie but we're getting away from ourselves um but yeah that's a great detail and i also loved the fact that she like wouldn't do reshoots oh yes politely refused redoing her own work i forgot that you went to one of them with me you're not in my instagram story i know i know (laughs) you you went to the press screening before i started the seven oh my god i'm a horrible i know no selfie with me that's fine that's fine oh my god no i love the details she was just like you know what no more rewrites no more rewrites i did my work and you get me when you get me and i'm not going back i think that's really correct um and tobias munsey's i'm really not what is he famous for outlander outlander yeah, he's okay. in the background of every british tv show okay. you okay. ever think of you know he shows up in catastrophe okay. he's in outlander oh wait who is he in catastrophe he's the doctor um he shows up in a couple of episodes is it when she has high cholesterol um <laughs> just i've been so. thinking about cholesterol lately sure. um i'm trying to remember exactly where he is but he he plays a doctor who keeps on seeing saying mean things to sharon horgan oh yes um, that's when she had the cholesterol yeah. yeah um he pops up in everything outlander outlander plays two characters one who's incredibly evil and one of whom is like the nice husband in the Amazing. present day um and he, he always so distinctive because he has those, that like, jawline fine, that perfect jawline and those creases yeah. around his lips um, and he told Catherine that when he was originally getting into acting, he wanted to be a mime. Um, so that's an incredible delight. Who detail. aspires to be a mime, not an actor, you know, or like they're both performing. Mm-hmm. But one, you're like, no, no, I don't want to be on no, no. The, the West End stage. Yes. I want to be a mime. I want to be in the subway performing for quarters. <laughs> like, why? But no, I'll take it. Her point, which I which I think is true watching the episodes, is Prince Philip has so little to say because yeah. he's so sad and kind of quiet in mm-hmm. this season that he plays it well. I mean, I'm really excited to watch him in this role because I now hate Matt Smith, unfortunately, because I found Prince Philip so detestable in the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're supposed to, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you i mean i'm i'm seeing how he's humanizing him a little bit and so i'm i'm excited to see where it goes you know because i just tobias is so beautiful he's mm-hmm. a really attractive man and um that helps me not that matt smith wasn't but it really helps me like prince philip more mm-hmm. that, that's how i work exactly. you know that's how i operate so let's go through some of our favorite moments thus yes. far um i am going to go back to episode two with helena bonham carter um being like the life of the party at the White House. I just thought that that was so crazy because Lyndon B. Johnson was like talking to his aides while going to the bathroom. Like he was a very rude guy. And then here she was just as like, I have to use the word crass. I don't know how mm-hmm. else to say it. Like mm-hmm. just being super, super vulgar. Um, And she just charmed him. And then she like won his heart and it really helped out the UK because the UK was like depending on her being charming. But then she comes back to the UK and she talks to Elizabeth and she's like give me some more duties like I want stuff to do I'm, I'm good at this like I'm bored give me more stuff and earlier in the episode obviously you see Margaret as a young girl and Margaret's like please like can I be the queen Elizabeth doesn't want it and they're like that's not how it works <laughs> but then just like the pain when she sees Elizabeth and I've called Tobias um, <laughs> Elizabeth and Tobias walking out and she just can see in their face like she's not getting more duties this right. was like a one-off just like the devastation where like it's not even a dia- it's not dialogue it's just her face and I'm like mm-hmm. oh my god you're perfectly symmetrical face yeah, you're so sad she's real good at this mm-hmm. HBC's real good at this mm-hmm. I think she should keep acting <laughs> yeah well it's also like to your point like we know her as sort of a a wackadoo yeah she's like a wackadoo actress and yeah. so much of what she does and now it's like oh right she of course can really bring the heat mm-hmm. um so yeah that was that was great um and i like i said before i really liked the storyline of you know 
Elizabeth dealing with this disaster and trying to figure out how much emotion to show. I think that's a tension that is so relevant, you know, now she's in her 90s and that's still like an issue that she has to grapple with is like how much to show and how much should her family show and how much should she keep private and can you guys just be a human for a couple minutes and I love that. I'm yeah. very tired of that. I thought that that shot with Olivia and the, the single tear was mm-hmm. really such a yeah. good way of like communicating all that with so little, which was great. And then, of course, also Helena Bottom Carter saying dirty limericks, which is just so delightful. <laughs> She's like, I feel like my grandmother would call women like that a pistol mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in like a very complimentary way. She was a very a fun grandmother. So, um, yeah, that, that kind of energy is always fun to see. This might be a lame favorite moment so far, but I just after not watching The Crown for a while, um, all the interior shots that are like seemingly shot from the rug of these incredibly soaring rooms with the paintings and the curtains. And they're just so spectacular. And you're like, wow, nobody does it like this show. It's just it's so incredibly gorgeous to take in. It's such a, like you could watch it on silent. It's so beautiful. Um, And I just you're like, wow, here we are. We're back like. Every single room is spectacular. Every shot is interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not a cinematographer. I took mm, film 101 in college. <laughs> hey, that's more than I did. <laughs> but you're just like the way everything is shot. You know, when Olivia Coleman is standing by herself in a, in a shot, that's not an accident. Everything is to make her feel lonely. Everything is to make her seem small in the greater scheme of this. And I just I love I love what they do. Um, so I'm excited to be back. Uh, Isn't it like the most expensive show ever made or something like that? Um, I don't know. I, I, I imagine Game of Thrones per episode is also incredibly expensive. Yeah. But I heard that um, the morning show is more expensive than Game of Thrones. The morning show is definitely the morning <laughs> show is like two million an episode for Talent Reese alone. Witherspoon yeah. and Jennifer yeah. Aniston specifically. Um, but yeah, I mean each. But uh, the the Crown, I'm sure, is the up sets. there with some of the most expensive shows. I think these net, these sort of streaming services can throw so much money at things now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember speaking of that, like one of the, the just the first shots of like Helena Bottom Carter when she's smoking as yes. Princess Margaret and she's mm-hmm. holding the like beautiful mm-hmm. metal cigarette lighters. Yeah. And I think she said in an interview, she had a whole thing about how she consulted a psychic for the role oh, and everything. God, Very Helena Bottom Carter story. But one of the things apparently the psychic told her channeling princess margaret is that she had to get the way of holding a cigarette writer lighter right and to learn the weight of it and she practiced a lot with that and you can tell something about it you're like okay i get this i mean that's real i mean i know it's lighting a cigarette not smoking a cigarette but as someone who doesn't smoke and has never smoked Mm. that would be my tell as an actress among thousands Um, lighting and also the holder too i think (laughs) yeah i just wouldn't like I would be like a 16 year old. You'd be like, you're yeah. holding that cigarette. You have it, the filter the wrong direction. Like mm-hmm. I would just, my hand wouldn't be right. And I feel like so, it's so important to nail Princess Margaret smoking. So that's a, such a huge part of her personality. And so to have the the holder and to flick your wrist in just the right British way is very important. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I smoked half a cigarette when I was 15. Oh, um, I felt really Are you dizzy listening, Caitlin's sick. mom? <laughs> awesome. Um, well, we're going to all have to follow along with Vulture's continued coverage. And yes. I'm no longer a New York Magazine employee, so this is not SpawnCon. This wow. is just as just someone, fandom. Well, yeah, fandom and someone who wants the Vulture people to like her. Yes. So before we let you go, though, we wanted to ask you about, since we have a man here, and it's so oh, rare yes. that we do. Wow. <laughs> we wanted so to different ask energy. you. Way different energy. We <laughs> wanted to ask you about Prince William's Green Blazer. Oh, yes. <laughs> what did you think of it? I mean, I, I support it. I support fun blazers, especially from, <laughs> I mean, for men, I feel like you just wear, you know, navy and black so much that, yeah. you know, why not have fun? He was, you know, 
meeting Rita Ora and, you know, oh why God. not dress up Who? for the event? <laughs> sorry, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Um, but yeah, ha- have a little fun with it. Uh, I support that. It looked like a very comfortable, nice Nice velvet. So. It's amazing how much attention it brought to the cause. So I always, I like that. Um, where can our listeners follow you and follow your coverage? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at McHenryJD um, and then my coverage at Vulture um, just under my byline. Amazing. Um, writing lots about television and movies and theater and whatever else. Excellent. Thank He's you. He's a really good writer. He's a great writer. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank we you, Jackson. really appreciate it. Thank you. So before we join the Royal Pod, we have some highs and lows. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. Low, I mean, Andrew. Of course, Prince like, Andrew. That bleh, interview. What bleh. a disaster. Absolute disaster. Disaster. Um, let's go to highs. My high is the fact that Mary Berry and yes. Kate Middleton are apparently working <laughs> on a holiday show together, which just seems so freaking joyful and oh perfect for the holidays. And I love it. Baked goods, Kate Middleton. Mary Berry. Mary Berry, the holidays. Like, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm also going to go with like a sort of food one, which, again, is completely invented by my own mind, which is the idea of Archie having his first Christmas taco. Are Christmas tacos a thing? I'm from the East Coast. I don't know. <laughs> but my, we don't know. My high is the idea of um, the Sussexes spending time in California for their Christmas, California Christmas beautiful i love that idea and of like course, almost famous like almost famous that's how that movie opens if you forget and of course my other high is that their crown is back and i have purpose finally finally a reason to live exactly um you guys can drop us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com to ask us any and all questions about the royals please remember to subscribe and leave us a five-star review because if you're so moved we really like that we do we love validation um <laughs> caitlin will you please read this review from <laughs> It's it's like E.A. Nelson with a million N's. So this one perplexed me, I have to say. My mom has been a Royals fan since Princess Diana. I never understood the hype until I tried listening to this podcast. I love keeping up to date with the Royals and Lisa and Caitlin always have the best news. They are honest, engaging, and funny. I'm newly obsessed with the Royals. Thank you, ladies, for helping me learn more about a topic I can talk to my mom about. So I thank you for that review, and it's very kind. I'm, enjoy- I'm glad you're enjoying the pod, but you didn't understand Royal Obsession until now. I can't relate. I can't relate. I'm so glad we could bring you over to this dark and slash happy side. But, Welcome to our lives. <laughs> but the fact that you didn't get it before now, confusing. But we are not shaming you because no. we are nice. Welcome. Come on in. Um, you can follow the show on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Again, join the Facebook group. We're obsessed with it. Um, Caitlin, where can we follow you? At HeyKMenz, H-E-Y-K-M-E-N-Z on Twitter and Instagram. And read my writing at CaitlinMenza.com. I'm Lisa Raya on Twitter and Instagram and read my writing at lisaraya.com. That's with no N. And then until next week, God save the pod. God save the pod. I'm going to go binge more crown. (laughs) Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.